0: and look at some of the points we've had, had in the past, I want to make sure that we understand a couple of terms. All right? First is forgiveness. The New Testament, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, encourage us to have a heart of forgiveness. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor And slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is the putting away of that anger. No matter what you think somebody's done to you, it's that internal surrendering that you recognize God is in control. If someone has wronged you, it's putting away that desire for you to fulfill justice. It's a recognition that that's job, that is God's alone. He's the judge and he will handle it. And is coming to that internal peace where you don't care about the pain. You can just let it go. That is very different than reconciliation, which in the New Testament, we're not called to provide. And that's very the very reason that is, it takes both parties to move. We're responsible for forgiveness. God will handle reconciliation. Because he has a process, and that's what we've been seeing going on over the past few weeks, is God taking this family through that process of reconciliation. So like a good Baptist church, today's the outline... I've got three points. I'm going to make this easy for you. It's going to be easy because although those are three points. In the past two weeks, we've covered the first two. So I'm only going to talk about one point for the entire time, so get ready for that. <laughs> but the first step is forgiveness. That's the only step we do we are responsible for our own forgiveness towards somebody we think hurt us. And as we've looked at at this encounter with Joseph, we know that Joseph forgave his brothers. And for those who weren't here, Joseph's brothers came together and conspired to kill him. And then they calmed down a little bit and they just sold him into slavery. So let's be honest, if anybody has room to, to hold a grudge with somebody, I'll, I'm putting Joseph high up on that list. He should be allowed to hold that for a minute. But what we've seen over the past couple weeks is he's let that go. He has come to peace, and he's given forgiveness. And when we look at that, we can look back to Genesis 41, 50, and this is when he named his sons. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. But let's be clear, right? When we read that, Joseph did not forget how he got in Egypt, he's a slave. He knows his brothers sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. He's not forgot that fact. What he has forgotten is the pain. The pain, the suffering, their motives. He's forgotten his anger, and he's set it aside. And that's what he's grateful for. He's grateful that God has enabled him to have forgiveness in his heart. Now, he may not know reconciliation would ever come. He probably would assume it never would. But he understood his trust in God gave him forgiveness, which is a peace, right? And as we think about our own lives, I guarantee there's nobody in this room that has not felt hurt by somebody else, I don't care if it's a coworker, a family member. I know, if you've got siblings, I guarantee you know about pain. But we can give forgiveness. Maybe you're in a marriage that's struggling. You two just aren't connecting. It's quite right. You're not talking the way you... Forgiveness goes a long way. It'll let you keep talking to each other. And when you have the forgiveness, then God can continue on with his process of reconciliation, which which we've seen. And that is, there's got to be an opportunity for it to happen. Joseph is in another country from his brothers. So the opportunity needed to be created. There needed to be that chance. And we've seen that in the famine. Right now in the land, the famine was severe. And... Joseph's family, although wealthy, had to go to Egypt to get food because they were prepared for the famine. So the second part of our outline is the opportunity, and God is providing that. We've seen that over the past couple weeks. Then that's going to lead to that third step, which is the destroying of our own pride, The thing that hinders reconciliation the most is our own pride. We're not willing to see the forgiveness in the other person. That's where God steps in. And that's what we're going to see in the scripture we're going to read, how God mightily steps in and does exactly this to his brothers. God will step in and destroy our pride He will bring us to a place of humility where we're able to listen and have common ground. And that's the final step. That is what we're going to look at today. The way God is humbling these brothers and bringing them to a point where they're overlooking their past transgressions toward each other. And that's where my prayer today is. As we hear this story, this is a very familiar story, but I pray that what we hear is our own lives and those brothers, particularly Judah. I want us to see how we're all a little bit more like them than we probably like to admit, and we all have room to grow with, God, with God's help. So. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that as we look at your word today, that your voice be heard, that whatever we need to take away from this, whatever each individual person needs to take away from this passage, that we would be able to. That we would hear your voice that we would see the lessons that you would have for us, and that we would, as we leave this place, be able to apply them to our own lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, in your copy of the word, Genesis 44. All right, last week, P.D. wrapped up in 43. They were just wrapping up a party, and the brothers were drinking and being merry and enjoying the good food. And then we pick up immediately following that party. Then he, Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food and as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. As soon as, as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. And they had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his stu- steward, Up, follow after them, I follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sack we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we still steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened it. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him on the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judas said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup was found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man whose hand the cup was found in shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, "O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word to my Lord's ear, and let not your anger burn against your servant. For you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant saying, "Have you a father or a brother?" And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. And you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his his father, for it should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. Then we went back to your servant, my father. We told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said we cannot go down. If our youngest brother, if our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then his life is bound up in the boy's life. As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servant will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back, then you shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that will find my father. So as we wrapped up last week, they were enjoying a nice dinner. Biggest party they've probably had in a long time because the famine was great in the land. And and the brothers are, are probably getting up in the morning. They're probably a little groggy, might have a headache. They likely celebrated a lot based on the language. And they're sent on their way with their donkeys. Their sacks are weighted down. They have a ton of food. Their money's back in there. They didn't even have to pay for the food. Yet a further example of Joseph did, in fact, forgive. Otherwise, they wouldn't have the food or the money. And they are sent away. They they take off out of town with their donkeys. Well, prior to that, Joseph had his servant put a silver cup in Benjamin, the youngest sack, and sent him on the way. It was a setup. This whole thing is a very detailed plan of Joseph's to test his brothers. He wants to see how his brothers are behaving, how they treat Benjamin. Are they still evil and bitter toward whoever his father favors? He's just trying to get more information to see if he can trust them or not. So they send him out of town they're headed out of town, and Joseph tells his servant, get up, go get them. And his servant takes off chasing after them. And when he put that silver cup in there and sends him on his way, the translations don't do a really good job of this, right? But don't think about this one servant hopping on his horse And just trudging after these guys, going, "Hey guys, could you stop? I think you forgot. You've took some Tupperware. Bring it back." Right. This is an armed posse going out after the brothers. The servant, because of Joseph's position, has Egyptian soldiers available to him. And think about it: these are eleven guys taking off, so one guy's not going alone. And his master said, stop them. He's going to stop them. So think more about this posse riding up on them, surrounding them, and bringing them to a stop. So they get them there. They're stopped. And the, the, the boy's reaction is, is immediately, wait, we're, we're innocent. We're, we did a good thing, remember? And if we're willing to do a good thing, we would never do a bad thing. Some of us use that same argument with God. But they stop, and then they lower their bags quickly. Well, yes, they lower their bags quickly because there's armed guards saying, drop your bags. (laughs) And the servant then inspects each bag. Again, starting with the oldest and working their way to the youngest. And shockingly, because that's where they put it, they found the cup in Benjamin's bag. And just a little more on the cup, is so it would have been a silver, kind of like bowl-shaped cup. Would have been used for drinking, but also in Egypt at the time, the practice of divination or or looking into the future was done regularly by Egyptian priests and, and officials and Pharaoh and his officers. That's not to say that Joseph actually practiced it. I would actually argue he probably did not because he already knew God would talk to him and show him the future in his dreams if God had something he needed to see in the future. So he wouldn't need this. But it would be a small silver bowl and they'd fill it with water or perhaps wine and they would look on the surface and, and, and they would see the future. And if the future wasn't clear, they might drop some coins or some gems down in it to stir up the water and and reflect more light, and then they would say they saw something. So what his servant is saying to them is, okay, this is not just the cup my my master drinks out of, but this is the cup he also uses to see the future. And why would the brothers believe this? Because this whole idea of divination, the nation of Israel had no concept of this. They did not do this. They didn't know this. But they'd seen enough out of Joseph to make them question, maybe this guy can see something. At the party, remember, they sat the boys in birth order. So Joseph is, or Joseph is doing things that, you know, just a regular Egyptian official would not have been able to do if he didn't know them, unless he could see things beyond. So Joseph is making this, again, this engi- detailed plan of his to make them think he can see the future and see into their pasts and see them. Um, because we keep referring to these guys as boys, right? They're not. <laughs> these are like 50-year-old men <laughs> down to like a, an early 20s age, right? I am guarantee you could pick out the youngest, but the ones in the middle, yeah, they kind of start to look alike. But yet they got the order right. So they're building up this thing to say, oh, this is a very special cup. You're, you're actually stealing an ability from my master. And they're making a big deal out of it. So when they find the cup, they, they understand, oh, we are in some big trouble here. Um, maybe we can make a deal. Maybe Maybe something can happen. And we would never do it, but yet they found the cup. And when they found the cup, of course being in Benjamin's bag, the brothers dropped down with me to verse 13. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey and returned to town. When I started reading this and I studied this, that caught my attention because the brothers' reaction in this moment was the exact same reaction their father Jacob had when Joseph vanished in his world. When they brought the robe back and it was covered in blood, this is the exact same emotional reaction that their father had. This highlights how the brothers are changing the way God has used the famine and God has used Joseph's means To work on the brothers' hearts. When this famine started, when we first started looking at these brothers in chapter 42, they were still very prideful people. If we look back at 42.1, and it talks about when Jacob realized that there was food in Israel, he went to the brothers and he said, Why are you sitting around looking at each other? The brothers were good farmers. They were from a wealthy family. They were looking at each other just like we would. Okay, guys, be honest. If there's a problem, are we calling a friend first or are we going to figure this thing out ourselves? They're trying to figure out, okay, here's how we're going to produce food in a famine. A drought that's wiping out half of the world. We got this, Dad. You don't worry about it. We can handle it. Their pride was keeping them there. And it was Jacob that said, just go to Egypt and buy the food. And that's how we started this whole journey of having their pride destroyed. So now we see they understand how their father loves Benjamin, and they love him just as much. But we also know that Benjamin was now the new favorite. So everything these guys despised about Joseph that led him to being sold into slavery is now wrapped up in Benjamin. But instead of taking that against him, they're using it to understand and have compassion toward their father. And they're protecting their father. Their father is getting older. He knows this would just break his heart and kill him. And... They want to go back and see if there's anything they can do to fix this. So they load their donkeys. I'm assuming they put on fresh clothes. And they go back to town. And they take them immediately to Joseph's house. And, well, Joseph is a busy man. He's feeding the entire world at this point. But they get to his house, and he's still there. Shocking. Who would have thunk? So they go in and they talk to him. And... Judah steps to the forefront, Judah, the very brother who came up with the idea to sell him into slavery, likely brokered the deal to get the 20 pieces of silver, is the very brother who steps up first to defend Benjamin and wants to talk to uh, Joseph. And they all fell on the ground before him, Joseph. And he starts berating them. He's leading on like, what, you don't think I can do divination? Haven't I shown you enough? I set such in the right order. How could I do that if I didn't have special skills? Right, he, he's making them suffer, and then he's highlighting the importance of the silver cup, which I just find it funny it was silver, the very thing he was sold for, because it could have been a gold cup. But no, they used silver. And I know what you've done, And it's Judah who speaks up. What shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear our names? God has found out the guilt of your servants. God has found their guilt. Not you, Joseph. Not you, governor. God found my guilt and all my brothers. What Judah's recognizing is is surmising because God's been working on his conscience is that this is how God is going to choose to punish them for selling Joseph. You see, because in their prideful state, the brothers have been hiding the secret for 20 plus years. They think they've gotten away with it up until recently when God's starting to work on their hearts. Now, all of a sudden, this catastrophe hits. They're about to lose their brother. They're about to lose their dad's favorite son. They will likely lose their father if this happens. That's where they are. And where the brothers have already changed is they care, they don't want that to happen. Judah is in that moment where he feels the eyes of God upon him. And like many of us, when we commit a sin or or we make a mistake against somebody else and we're covering it and hiding it from everyone around us, we start to think we got away with it. What Judah is being reminded of is God always knew. God knew they did this when he says God has found out. Yeah, God didn't just, discuss, God didn't go, oh, wow, Joseph, thanks for figuring that out. for me. No, God knew all along. And what he is saying, Judah is saying, God is now choosing to deal with it. And that's what he's doing. But throughout this entire journey through Genesis, we've seen God's faithfulness. So, while God's choosing to deal with it, it's from grace and love. It's through Joseph, who they don't recognize yet. Because at this point, it's when Judah again steps up and he risks his life. Again, very subtle in scripture. Then, so the governor, Joseph, has just spoken to them. And. Joseph is in complete authority in the nation of Egypt. So the picture is he's been talking to these people. He's held them accountable. And he's turning away. I've judged you. Go. You be in peace. That one's my servant. But it's Judah who steps up and says, well, let me just talk to you. Please, stop. In so doing... He could have been killed. You cannot address a pharaoh unless you're invited. Judah stopped thinking of himself. Likely for the first time in his life, he felt the weight of God's love. And he reacted differently. It is in this moment when no words are spoken. we We read through the longest speech in the entire Old Testament, Judah's plea for his brother. But before a word is even spoken of that speech, Judah's pride was crushed. And for the first time in his life, he sees humility. And he's going to put it into play by begging for his brother's life. And he's the one who sold him into slavery in the first place. Look how far God changed him. Look at the change that has taken in such a short time. It took us chapters and chapters to go through the change in Joseph's life. We're in the third chapter and Judah's rock to the core. And as we get toward the end of this speech... In verse 31, we we use the uh, word a couple of times, sheol. That was the Hebrew word for the place of the dead. But they're not using it just to indicate that their father will die. They actually say he will die. They're highlighting the fact that the heartache that he would feel from this event, from losing this second son, the second of only two that his favorite wife, Rachel, bore him, death would not even release him from that sorrow he will go he would die but he would still have that heartache is how bad that is that's what they're talking about when his gray hairs will go down to sheol he won't even get a release in death this heartache will bother him that long he can't get away from it and then we see Judah beg to be the substitution for Benjamin. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as your servant to my Lord, and let the boy and his brothers go. Humility. Judah's not just thinking about Benjamin and his father anymore. Judah just came to the point where everyone is more important than me. I will do this to protect all of them. I will do what has to be done because God destroyed his pride. So this long speech that we read through, I mentioned it's the longest in the the Old Testament. It's clearly heartfelt. We can see a man's life change as it travels the words. I just want to share with you what Martin Luther said about this passage. What would I not give to be able to pray before the Lord as Judah here interceded for Benjamin? For it is a perfect model of prayer, nay, of the strong feeling which must underlie all prayer. And blessed be God, one has so interceded for us, who has given himself as our surety and become a bondsman for us. His advocacy has been heard. His substitution accepted. And his intercession for us is ever continued and ever prevails. Second Corinthians 5:17 through21. "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ, reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. When we started this morning... I mentioned reconciliation as three steps. Forgiveness, the situation for it to occur, and for our pride to be destroyed. We're responsible for forgiveness. We own that. We can't deny that. As Martin Luther mentioned it, as 2 Corinthians points it out, God destroyed that very model of reconciliation for us. He gave the forgiveness, He gave the means, and He destroys our pride. God is the source of reconciliation. God is a God of reconciliation. We get to worship Him here today because God chose to reconcile the world to Himself. No one in this room could have reconciled us to God. All of us, to some degree and fashion, have had to stand there like Judah did and feel the reality of God holding you accountable for your pride. And if you haven't, if you're here today and you haven't felt that, if you don't know why you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus as this reconciliation, elders will meet with you. I'll meet with you and get with the elders. We can talk that through. But what we saw in the example of Judah begging, begging to take his brother's place is the same feeling Jesus had taken the cross. When you feel the need to change, when you feel God working on your consciousness, that's that same kind of begging. Reconciliation starts and ends with the Lord. I don't know who in here needs to reconcile to whom. I would hope from the example we got here in Genesis that we recognize if it is going to happen, God will orchestrate the time. He will work on the parties individually, just like he did Joseph separately from his brothers, so that it could happen. But if you are trying to reconcile with somebody, you have forgiven them. God's got to be put at the center. I don't care if it's a friend, a family member, your spouse. You can't just work on the earthly relationship. You have to center the healing on the Lord. Tighten your relationship with God. Approach God the way Judah approached Joseph with that same earnest desire, that complete surrender, and let him change what he will change. And God will reconcile us where we need to be. That's what he wants for us. That's what he will do for us, just as he did for this family. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, What an awesome, faithful God you are. The the amazing way you provide grace to us when we don't deserve it. When we're actively running from you, you pursue us. You've made the way, God. You forgave us when we didn't deserve forgiveness. You sent the substitution for us when we didn't deserve it. God, I would just pray that as we leave here and we, we embark on our week, that we focus on our part, forgiving others, and that we allow our relationship with you to strengthen and grow, and that we turn to you the way that Judah approached Joseph with complete abandon, begging for that unmerited grace, that unmerited favor, which is the amazing grace you provide. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we...